Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. And we are back with Absurdity. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'm once again here with Tony. And we are one episode away from episode number 50. That's just insane to me. No, I'm like, kidding. I'm totally fine. It is insane to me because I started this journey two years ago and we started like posting weekly this year. And yeah. technically, like if I want to be like super technical about it, we're actually at episode like 51 because I've done two bonus episodes. Yeah, you episodes. did the two. Yeah. But uh, based on episode numbers, like official episode numbers alone, we're at episode 49. I, th I think we'll go with that. Yeah. Because so, then it makes confusing for someone like downloading and there's like, wait, what? Well, they say they say that uh, if your podcast is really going to last, right? Like, like the test of a podcast is a hundred episodes. If you yeah. can make it to a hundred episodes, then you're going to keep going. No doubt, no questions asked, nothing. So, um, there's no reason you would stop. Not even death can stop nope, us now. Not even death can stop us now. You are correct. Which, we by have, the way, watch something happen to us within the next week, and we can't right? get episode like, uh, fifty up. We just like. We just tempted fate. There we this go. This would be this would be our luck. So yeah, I no um, joke. Like on break, everyone thought that I was dead because I I took a like a couple of days away from my phone, and like everyone was just panicked. Like I I came back on Monday and looked at my phone and like I had like thirty missed calls and like forty messages. People on Twitter were like, "Is he dead?" Ah! It just felt like when I walked away, and it was unplanned. Like I didn't like deliberately be like, "Okay, bye." Like. This is one of those things where, like, I just kind of left my phone and and you know went and hung out on vacation, this and and uh, literally like everyone was panicking and <laughs> just imagined everyone running around like SpongeBob episode where like his brain is just like delete them all, delete it, it's you know just fire and chaos. So and you think you're more important than you are is what you're telling me. Um, if, if I felt that way, I, it was an illusion. This is this is like one of those things in high school where you're like, I'm going to stop texting all my friends to see who really cares about me. I'm going to stop talking to all my friends. Let's see. Let's see who really, really values me. And there are five people who really, <laughs> really, really value me, apparently. Um, no, we, like I hadn't talked to you for like a week and a half. So when yeah. I got the text wondering like, hey, is Tony alive? I was like, well, I have no clue. <laughs> and absurdity is going to be awkward if he's uh, – my first thought was the podcast. But I just want you to know – that when the when I presented with the possibility that you were no longer alive, <laughs> my imminent death. My first thought was, "Who's going to be my next co-host?" <laughs> I just want you. My, my first thought, like, "Oh man, this is going to be a logistical nightmare." <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. I was like, Wait, "Oh, and so, you know, like, I'm very sorry for your loss." So, like, but what's seriously? What's, so, what's what? What do I do? Do I do like an episode where I talk about how I feel about his death? Do I tweet it? Like, do I just say like, "Hey, no absurdity, indefinite break," do until I figure out what to do? Yeah, like what do I? What do I? Loose that's Bastion. Um, 
And then and then our friend found a tweet from like eight hours prior to that text. And I was like, oh, okay, he's still alive. We're fine. It, um, it wasn't from like eight hours. Averted. It was like legit an hour before. Let's either way. Like it, I was, am, it was like I just sync sync synchronipitous. Ser- serendipitous? No, synchronipitous. Okay. I've never heard that word. I'm not even sure. Sync, sync I'm, and line up I'm in a serendipitous sure, manner. No, I'm pretty sure you I made just that made up. it. Okay. I just made it up right now. Because right, I'm not good. smart. I had 31 <laughs> missed calls. I can make up words now. Oh, is that it? Okay. I, I can see yeah. dead kings. You had 31 missed calls from two people, your parents. That's... Actually, actually, it was four people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your brother. And, and a, your random friend had been, I, a random friend I'd been, I'd been like, talking to pretty consistently. And, and she was like panicking. She's like, wait a minute. Did I say something? Like, what's, what's going on? Because she's going through some stuff. And so she was like, ah. It was hilarious. That's wonderful. All right, so anyway. we're going to jump in to something today that uh, might step on some toes, as if we've never done that before on this show. The first uh, dress. But we're going to talk about church discipline, and church discipline is an interesting topic, in my opinion. I haven't... No, I honestly haven't had a ton of experience as far as, like, firsthand dealing with it, either having to discipline someone or, like, watching someone go through church, the process of church discipline. Um, and when I say church discipline, I mean like you're attending or a member at, you're a member at a church, right? And you do something or someone in the church does, a member in the church does something against the values and standards, you know, cheats on their spouse or whatever, right? Like, and so the church finds out about this sin and then it goes through the model of church discipline, um, and I do like all off the bat that it's called discipline and not punishment, right? Like, I think that's a good thing because the aim for discipline would be to restore, right? Discipline is punishment is just consequences for your actions. But discipline um, really kind of uh, implies growth, implies that we are trying to do this for your benefit. And so it's it's really a model of correction is what it's supposed to be. And what I found, I guess, in my experience with church discipline is that it's not always the case. And and to be fair, uh, as we kind of dive into this, to be fair, when you're writing policies for an entire world church, you know, transcending all these different cultures, trying to reach into all these different cultures and apply across the board, like, you're going to fall short. There's just no way that you're not when you're trying to write a policy like that. So, so to some extent, like I don't think the system can can be sustainable in that sense, right? Like it makes sense that they, that it would fall apart at some level. But yeah, Tony, I guess what what has been your experience with church discipline? How would you describe it? Things like that, like like kind of give me, I guess, an, an overview of what you think about it. Well, like okay, sorry, I got a new chair. I'm still trying to figure out the comfortable spots. Um. So, like, I think there are two two ways we have to first separate. There is ideology and practicality, like like pragmatic, um, or or let's say even say ideology and reality. Um, so there's church discipline in ideologically and church discipline in reality. And I think in order to understand why things are the way they are and how it works, you have to have two separate, you have to understand those two separate things, right? Um, To be able to interpret the text. And so ideologically, you have to have a much higher standard. Like I think, I think church discipline works in conceptually and ideologically differently than it does pragmatically and practically. Um. I've only experienced, well, I've experienced it from four levels. I've experienced it, well, I guess three levels. Um, I've experienced it as an observer, an intimate observer, Um, not personally. Like, I haven't done anything outside of church discipline or been caught. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So you'll never know. Um, that is a joke. Texas conference who I work for and sponsor. I would never do something against the morals and obligations of the church. Um, no, like, like seriously, like I, I was an intimate observer. I had something, uh, to someone who was very close to me who made some mistakes and they had to have, uh, you know, church discipline, um, with them. 
Um, that's a situation I will I will try to talk about as carefully as I can. Um, you don't you know it's not my yeah. story to tell, but it's it's it is from my perspective. Um, then I experienced it as an uh, a further back observer, as in it happened to a church in the area that I was close to. And then as a really back observer, I experienced it as my father's son. Um, and I watched him deal with church discipline, which was where I, I, again, that can kind of be put into two categories where like I watched it as a, a member and I watched my president handle things. And then I watched it as, you know, like my dad, you know, yeah. handling his business. Um, and so from those different perspectives, it's very, very, very different. And that's why I say I have to split it up. I think ideologically we we are very biblical biblically based in in our idea of church discipline. I think ideologically I, I agree with it. I think it's really, really well worded. Um I think it's well intentioned. I think it is broad enough and the the language is loose enough. And we can't go through all of it. There's just too much. But if any of you have a chance, um and, and you just are interested in it, um you can find it in the church manual. Um, and yeah, you can, well, the, the and SDA church manual, and you can just kind of read through. You can um, Google that. It's a free download. Yeah, it's totally what I'll free. Do, yeah. Um, I'll also include a link in the description so anyone can yeah, see that. That's the church. Sure. It's the and same church like, manual that all of all pastors use, churches use. Like you're not seeing like anything different. Chapter eight or something. I can't remember. It's like sixty pages in. Don't yeah. ask me why I know that. It's it's fairly close. <laughs> It's like six pages. Like at one point, I had that whole book almost like memorized as far as like what was where. And then, like, I just—anyway, so I think going back to school kind of pushed all that up. Anyway, so, so like, uh, read through it for yourself. And like I say, when I read through it, I remember just thinking, like, the language here is very broad in general, which is really, really good. Um, so it can involve, like, a, a, a plethora of different events, but it also gives um, really good motivation for why we have it, why it exists, um, why we need it, and what, what we can kind of do about it. And so I, I really like it. Um, that's kind of the takeaway from that ideologically. Yeah, um, I would agree it with is, that. It is also, the problem lies in this, in trying to be fair and do things in a in a fair and ideological manner um, with the policy, it leaves a lot of room for interpretation. Um, and so much like the U.S. Constitution, people kind of take it in different ways. So I have seen church discipline done well. I've seen it done right. And I've seen it done wrong two different ways. It is very difficult to do it correctly. And if it is done correctly, oftentimes it will offend many, many people. So the, the way that you do it correctly, uh, practically, like pragmatically, in reality, the way that you do it correctly is uh, first you confront the person, right, one-on-one, -on -one, the person who, who actually did you, right, Matthew, 18 um, method, which is you confront the person one-on-one, -on -one, right? And you say, hey, you know, this is an issue. Um, then you bring somebody with you, and then you, you take it to the group. Um, and if they still don't do that, then you go, look, this is something that is hurting you. It is hurting other people. We cannot allow you to continue to be here because you are going to keep hurting yourself and other people. And so you then remove them from that situation. This is, this is I believe, Jesus and Paul. Um, are the two examples that they use about this. So you move them from that situation, and then you treat them as an outsider, meaning not that you shun them, but rather you go evangelistically, right? Mm -hmm. And so you focus on the gospel. You do like you would do anybody else, right? You, you focus on, hey, here are the basic bones of why it's important to be a Christian, and you try to kind of win them back, Um in a right way, but you do so in a safe environment. And that's the purpose of church discipline, which again, ideologically is, is the purpose is to put them out there. Now, the problem is this only works if the person is completely compliant. Right. The which is funny is because say, at that point you're working with someone who hasn't been compliant. Right. Um, <laughs> like, which, which is kind of, it's like, it's, it's like, uh, that's the problem is like, well, if they were, if they had this attitude of willing to work with you, you wouldn't have had to do this in the first place. Exactly. So a lot of times when you do that, it really is with the idea of there's a, there's a slight chance they will come back. Um, but the reality is a lot of times it's just to kind of put them in a safe place where we can deal with this issue. 
So for instance, let's say it's, it's, let's do, let's do an easy one that everyone do drug abuse, right? Like they're abusing drugs, hard, you know, drugs. You put them in a safe place, like a halfway house so that they can learn, you know, to, to adjust, readjust, right? Yeah. So they don't have to deal with, with everything and they are not exposed to places where they're going to get, um, you know, more opportunities to get high. And this is the issue that we, we have in the church is that a lot of times we don't even do the halfway house. We just kick them out on the street and we're like, okay, we don't care about you anymore. Um, so the, the, the two ways that I've seen it done wrong is number one, erring too much on the side of, um, I don't want to say grace because it's, 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 that's the way people often do it is to err to, to we err so, on the side of grace. That's, it's not grace. It's not grace. Would you say err on the side of non-confrontation? On non-confrontation. That is that is exactly where I was going with it, number yeah. one. And the second side is to excommunicate. Um, not in the Catholic term, but in the in the uh, tr- it's true sense of right? that word. Like you just stop yeah. associating with them. Yeah. To, to, in the, yeah, in the true sense of that, you know, anathema, you know, that kind of stuff, um, yeah. which is also a biblical thing, right? There are people that, you know, he goes, if you continue to do this and they don't, let them be anathema. You know, let them be, you know, they are, they are. Um, so that's a big word that basically just means like. Use another big word. Shun. <laughs> They're a pariah. They're, yeah, no, they're an outcast. They're basically like just like we, we, we don't associate with you anymore. Like we can't – you are just hurting people, so we're not going to deal with you. Yeah. It was interesting. The only time that they become anathema is if they are like actively causing trouble in the church, like actively causing problems. Yeah. Like somebody who's struggling with a sin is not what that is supposed to be used for. It's meant to be used for somebody who's coming in and yelling at people and causing fights and you know gossiping and all that issue. It's like, okay, you are toxic – it's meant for toxicity, not for people who are struggling. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the point being that so so those are the two extremes that I've seen it go on, where um, we kick you out and we don't love you, we don't care about you, get out, you are ruining our perfect church. Or man, we just we just we just were so worried that you are going to leave us that we we just keep letting you be this either toxic person or or have this horrible habit that is hurting you and hurting yourselves. Because this is the interesting thing about discipline. Um, God says, uh, those who I love, I chasten, right? I punish those that I love because I want you to get better. Um, I I put it this way. If you see your friend stabbing themselves in the leg, your good friend, and they are stabbing themselves in the leg, and they're like, man, I don't know why I keep hurting. I have all this pain. And you're just like, uh, I want them to be my friend, so I won't tell them. Like, I'll just be like, I don't know, man. Life is hard. A good friend walks up to them and goes, it's because you're stabbing yourself in the leg, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, sometimes you have to forcibly remove the knife from their hand and be like, look, I'm going to give you some time to not stab yourself. And if you decide that the pain, you know, because the reality is I've had friends where I have said that in a metaphorical way and they're like, yeah, but nah, I think I'm just going to keep stabbing myself. And I'm like, I don't know how to help you then. I, I don't know. Like, you yeah. know, this is what's causing you pain, but you're going to keep doing that. OK, well, then that's I, you know, I don't know what I can do at this point. Um, and that's just the sad reality of church discipline. Church discipline is is meant to take the knife out of their hands, at least for a time period, and then say, we are going to try to, you know, help you with this issue because sin separates us from God. That is the that is the base definition of sin. And I think that's where a lot of Adventists I've been talking for a long time, I'm gonna shut up, but I think that's where a lot of Adventists and a lot of Christians uh, falter and where we don't do good at discipline is not understanding what sin is. And sin is anything that separates us from God. So when he writes in the Bible, in his book, in, his, in, in the book that he reveals himself to us and how he works, when he says, these are things that are going to keep you from me, they're not, quote unquote, bad things, but they are bad because they keep you from him. Anything that keeps you from him is bad for you by definition. Well, and we, I, we've talked about this on, our, on the episode with mental illness, where someone right. who is not intending to cause you harm, but because of their mental illness still causes you harm. It's still malicious, even if its intent is not malicious. Um, the effects and, are. And so, exactly. So it's, there's still that problem of, it's not inherently bad in and of itself, but it might be bad for you because of what it's doing or right. what it's causing in that separation. Exactly. Now, I, and I think 
when it comes to church discipline and non-confrontation too, I think here's what you see as a weakness. I actually see as a strength. And my problem with, with, with it is that it's not clearly communicated. My favorite thing about the church manual is that it's written so broadly that there is room for interpretation. The problem that I find with it is too many people think that every word in the church manual is meant to be followed as law, right? And so, yeah. you know, church manual section 13 point B point C 13 says this, like they try to follow it like it's, like it's a law and it's not meant to be a law. It's meant to be a guidebook. It's meant to kind of set us in the right direction and figure out what works for us. That's why, and if you don't believe me, just go ahead and look at everywhere in the church manual when it gives you a description of different positions, like for, for church leadership, and find, and then compare it to your church and show me all the ones that don't match. <laughs> like yeah. that, every no, church sure. does something differently. And that's yeah. okay. And that's what the church manual is meant to embrace. The problem is that and, and I think this is part of my issue, is it's not clearly communicated. And so what you end up with is people trying to follow it to the letter of the law. It doesn't make sense in and their there's context. Some, there's some points that, yeah, clearly this is, you know, yeah. don't don't kill people. Like, that's kind of, yeah. even that can be kind of interpreted, like, with soldiers and stuff. But, like, don't murder. Like, you know, like, yeah. that's kind of something that's like, yeah, that's pretty, you know, we can do that face-to-face. But most of it is subject to interpretation. Yeah. and 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 I think... You know, I think the other part of this, at least with non-confrontation in my experience, is sometimes the chain gets interrupted. Like the 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 they they call it the chain of evidence in in um in like law, right? Or the 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 chain of custody, whatever I forget the term is. But you know how evidence is handled from point A to point B, and if there's anything wrong with that, the whole case can get thrown out. Um, if they find out that it didn't follow the proper it's not chain, handled in a proper yeah. protocol, yeah. So the problem then, and this is something that I've faced, is if if people don't tell you there's a problem and you find out about it in a way where like you can't do anything about it, then you end up erring on the side of non-confrontation because there is nothing you can do about it because either that, and and this I think is my problem with church discipline currently. And it's not necessarily the discipline side. It's the people side, which is this. We are not clearly communicating to people that they are now accountable to the community they have entered. Right. Um, And so what ends up happening is if someone messes up, they're not going to listen to, like, if, if one of my church members does something, right? And this is not just, like, my current two churches. This is, like, any church if I'm just a general pastor, right? If someone messes up and they don't see themselves as accountable to me as their pastor or accountable to the community that they're a part of, right? I can understand why they might not see themselves as accountable to me because I've only been at a place for X years. But, you know, the community right. that they've grown up with, right? Like, if they don't see themselves as accountable then they're not going to go to them or they're not going to listen to them when they try and call them out. And this is something like, it's my pet peeve too. When people who I don't hold myself accountable to try and call me out on things, like that's a pet peeve of mine. If you try to correct me and I don't know you and you try to speak into an area of my life that I haven't given you permission to. And I think that's part of a failure of discipleship on the leadership end as people are joining the church. And I'm not saying it needs to be a baptismal vow. I'm not saying, I just, I'm just saying it needs to be some sort of expectation needs to be set, especially in Western culture where everything is so individualistic and relativistic that like we need to set the standard or the expectation that says, look, we do things differently in Christianity because we are operating under a different banner, under a different culture. And in this culture, we hold ourselves accountable to the community. And, that's in, that's incredibly vital, and it's not happening. And so you have all these Western and, Christians and, joining the church with no sense of accountability. Right. And and keep in mind, when we talk about accountability, we're not talking about, I get to now tell you how to live your life. Rather, as the Holy Spirit convicts you in relationship, you and I now work to to keep each other true to the beliefs that we know we have. That's accountability. Yeah. That's accountability. Um, the best way I can describe it is like, you mean this this is literally how we became best friends and how Steve and I became best friends. You know, we were talking in undergrad about how hard it is to to be um to, to really study your Bible consistently and this is to really stay in the scripture. And so we said, well, like every day let's just meet up, you know, in in uh the, the basement there in Talge in the guy's dorm, because uh, Steve worked there every day at six, and let's just meet up and talk, you know, and keep each other accountable and be like, Hey, what did you read today? You know, did you did you go in? And 
if we didn't read, it wasn't like we sat there and we're like, well, you were, you know, shame. It was more like, okay, well, like, hey, this is what God told me today. And it, and it just gave us a purpose to be like, we want to be in here. We believe we should be in the scriptures. We should believe we should be talking to God and spending yeah. time with him every day. So we're going to help each other achieve that goal. And the problem is I think we, we switch those and we, we tell people, okay, now we get to tell you what to do. Instead of saying, now you are a part of our family, we're going we're gonna to help each other become better. Like we're going we're gonna to help each other on this journey to where you no longer have to do this on your own. And yeah. this is another big issue. If we had that mentality, we would be able to retain so many other people. Like so many people, like it's a revolving door because they come in and they have this kind of community helping them to come in because they were law interested because we want to do evangelism. And then they're on their own and they lose that community. The moment that they get baptized, they're like, okay, now you're not, we don't care about you anymore. Yeah. Like baptism is the like, finish line, but in reality, it's the starting line. It's the starting line. Wow. Right, right. Like, so, like, <laughs> like all the Bible studies prior to a baptism are like the training sessions prior to the race starting, but baptism is showing right? up on race day. Right. Like that's, well, by the way, I just want to point out, I think it's hilarious. Steve gets like a weird shout out every time we talk about him, and yet he never consistently listens to these episodes. So yeah. he has no clue that he is constantly on this show. And I just think that's hilarious. It's awesome. We got to get him on with these days just, just so everyone will be like, it's him. Well, he's he's been on before. If everyone goes back to uh, the dark times of this podcast when I had no idea what I was doing, I still don't, but I have like some Fair more of a graph. But he's like episode two or three or something. But yeah, Stephen Hall. That's uh, that's the episode you should go listen to. He was. Oh, that's right. He was right. one of my first guests. I totally forgot that. But no, you're right. Accountability yeah. is a community saying we're going to walk together through this. And I think exactly. this is so. This is not a weakness. Once again, I think the weakness is that it's, it's not communicated. Yeah. But yeah. the the model of church discipline is predicated on or, or or is founded upon the idea that your community is a community, yeah. right? Like it's like it's, yeah. it's a, it assumes it assumes that you are in friendship with your people. Yep that you would be given the space to hold them accountable. Which is, again, why I think there's a split between ideology and practicality. Bingo. Reality. Yeah. Right? There's a, there's a, there's a huge dichotomy between those two. And I think that's another reason why a lot of millennials in our generation and, and you know, Gen, um, uh, uh, Gen, Gen Z, Z or Gen Z, I think that's why they're really leaving the church um, you know, another another reason I think why is because they see that dichotomy of like, like back in my mom's day, I, I remember her telling me stories like horror stories of like pastors stopping sermons to come down and call somebody out in front of the whole church. And I would I would be as a as a visitor, as a pastor, I would call that dude out. Oh, yeah. Now I would stand up and be like, hi, everybody. I'm your new pastor. Like, we're killing <laughs> this dude. Like, because and I'm joking when I say that, but I'm like. To me, that is like the absolute. But again, I, I talk about that. Like reality is so different from ideology. Um, you you know, church discipline is never meant to call out visitors. Like I've seen church discipline used against visitors, where they're like, "Oh, we kind of you know we we can't really wear shirts and stuff." And I'm like, "It's not you how just that tell works a visitor to yeah." Like, did you just? criticize his clothing like I literally I've had I've had leaders in my church as a pastor come up to young mothers and complain about their cleavage and she's like I'm a nursing mom my shirts don't fit me I'm sorry you know like yeah <laughs> like no but no, and that's the thing is there was no understanding of the ideology in reality and and that's the problem is when you assume that you have that community, if that community is not there, then it becomes a real issue. Um, the first example where I really saw the split, and this is talking about the pros, when it was done well, when it was really done well. There was a pastor in a certain conference that I will not mention um, that embezzled $35,000 from the church, right? The way that it was handled was that he was fired and they pressed charges. Right? Okay. But they did not go after him for malicious intent. It was simply, we need the money back. They pressed charges because they're like, he needs to pay us back. But they didn't like 
basically they didn't go after him for malicious intent. They didn't sue him. None of that. It was just, we're going to press charges. You stole money from the church. That is not okay. You have to pay us back. The family of this pastor freaked out and supposedly people left, you know, they left the church over and they said, where's the grace in this and all that. And I go, but that was handled so well because he broke the trust of the church, right? Yep. He stole money, right? Like, you know, from yep. a business or whatever, and they didn't press it as far as they could. They just simply said, you need to be able to pay us back. Like, this is not okay. We need you to understand that this is not okay. We cannot let you simply get away with this. Um, because contrition without consequence is not true repentance. Without being willing to face that consequence. Right, least. right. I'm not like saying if someone, that, if someone decides to give you grace and say you don't have to face that consequence, that's on the person who doles out the grace. Right, but you need, to, you need to have to look down that barrel and accept that. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. need to be able to look that down and be like, no, I, I deserve this. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, sweet, I got away with it. And so that it was handled so well. And I remember seeing that thinking, why are they complaining? Like, the, you know, like if they really wanted to be nasty, they could, you know, this dude, like he's dead. To, they got him dead to rights and they didn't. The second time I saw it handled really well, really, 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 really well was um, there was a church member who was dealing with a major, major issue. They were being extremely not cool about this issue and they were not handling it well. They did not respond to the first polite overtures and, and basically they didn't, the nice way didn't work. Mm -hmm. And so they said, Hey, um, as much as we, you know, we're going to ask you not to, uh, we're going to remove your name from the books and we're going to ask you not to come up, you know, to go up front and, and, not be, you know, uh, uh, have this leadership position. We're going to ask you to resign. We don't want to remove you, but like, we we're going to ask you to resign this this position. They made a big deal about that. No, I'm not going to do it. You're going to have to kick me out. So they they did right. They forcibly went to business. They said we don't want to drag you through it. Like we want to be able to handle this in a nice way. So they went in front of the church. This is what's crazy, man. They went in front of the church, and rather than air out the dirty laundry, said we have one of our own is struggling with this issue. We, how can, and literally the, the church business meeting wasn't, we need to get them out. It was, how can we best go about helping them with this issue? And literally the church in business session got together and said, well, and, and not only validated everything that the church had done as far as the leadership, the board, um, but then said uh, they assigned people to go and visit this individual and this individual's family every day or like every week. And, and like they assigned groups and they went in and like and stared and invited him to things. And it was crazy because this person was so overwhelmed by the support that they had that they the, 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 the reason why they lashed out was because they were embarrassed and ashamed that they had been caught. And and it was a way of of, you know. I'm going to I'm going to hurt you so that you can't hurt me. Yeah. Kind of a deal. Um, you know, kind of like a first a first strike. And the fact that they did not respond they responded only with love. They not only gave up this issue they were dealing with, but they spent 5 years under censure. Self-censure. Not like the church was like you can't do it. Like they removed themselves for 5 years and then got rebaptized and this whole thing and I was like, "Wow. That's crazy." That's one of the rare times where you had a belligerent individual, someone who was deliberately like making things hard, go out. So those are the two times that I saw it work so, so well. Unfortunately for the first one, I don't believe a lot of people in that situation came back to the church. But I know for a fact that um, it it brought a lot of healing to the church that this 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 pastor had hurt. The way that they the leadership went about it really helped that church, you know, in the future. As as you know, it didn't close. Sometimes that can kill a church. Yeah, um, something of that magnitude. And so, just the way they went about it, the transparency and everything, like it handled so well that it brought healing to the church, if not to that individual and his family. And then with this other one, it, it just brought so much healing to a the church, but also the well, particularly this individual. And this is a, 
you know, I think with church discipline, I think the best church discipline is properly contextualized yeah, discipline. It really so is. So like we there's a dean we both know, so it's not my story. I don't want to name names on it, but um who had who caught a student with weed or, or some drug. I, I'm like 80% sure it was weed. And this was years and years ago, right? Um and unfortunately in the dorm because of that and because of what protocol was, he had to call the police and basically he made the he made the student go through the full consequences of getting caught and, and possession and using drugs. So kid goes, actually kids and kid, kid ends up getting some jail time for it. Um, ends up missing out on school, but here's what the Dean did. The Dean then continued to write that student letters in mm-hmm. prison through his entire time there, um, continued to build a relationship with him. And, uh, and later on that kid gets out and comes back to, the dean and basically says you were the only person that through that time sitting contact with me, stayed in touch with me. And, you know, I under, I fully understand why you did what you did. I'm not mad at you. And I've decided like, look, like you're the only person that kept me in this. And I really want to give my life to Christ and do this and, and do this for real. And so I think like not every single person who's caught with possession is handled the same way. Not every pastor or yeah. not, you know, not every member is treated the same way as a pastor when it comes down to getting caught in some certain sin, right? Like yeah. if a, yeah. if a, if a member is caught in a certain sin and that pastor is caught in the same sin, it might be that the pastor gets fired. The member, I, I can't fire you anyway. I'm not a fan of just saying that there's a blanket, there's a blanket yeah, no. discipline for, there's only like one or two cases of it at the moment that I think like, I can't think of, I can't like plausibly think of, of how this would not I be think, the case. And that would be sexual assault and child and like, yeah, like abuse, no, things like that. Sure. Like actual physical harm to someone where there's clear evidence one way or the other. But outside of that, like a lot of it the, is contextualized. The, the only reason you would have a blanket punishment or consequence is to avoid worse. You know yeah. what I mean? To like to like set a ceiling of like you can go this far and only this like you know, it's not meant to go worse. Which Incidentally, this is what's interesting. A lot of the punishments that are given in the in the Bible are meant to be understood in that terms of like this is the worst thing you do. Like if you can avoid that, avoid it. But like do this, but no further. You know, you can, you know, an eye for an eye. The reason why that was given a lot that sounds really harsh for for Christians now. Like an eye for an eye, man. But it was like no, 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 no. You can't take an eye, a tooth, an ear, a nose. You know what I mean? Like it's even. Like, this is as far as you can go. If they took an eye, you can take an eye. It's meant to be fair. So that would be the only reason to have a blanket discipline. But the problem with that is people take that and then they push for the maximum. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they don't understand the spirit of that. And and so, yeah, sometimes you have to just say the best. Like, and I agree with you 100%. The, the pros of our discipline system are that, A, it can bring healing to the entire community, and B it can be contextualized, which is the best way to do it. And and even in the same two people can have, you know, do the same exact thing in the same exact place. One person needs a different punishment than the other. And they can say, oh, it's not fair. It's not nice. But not everyone responds, responds to punishment the same way. Anyone who's ever worked with kids or, or if anyone's a parent listening to this, you know, every kid deals with punishment a certain way. Some kids, like, all you have to do is look at them the wrong way, and they're like, ah, and they feel remorse, and they're sad. Some kids don't get it unless you're like, okay, we're going to take this thing away and, you know, not work. You know, you can't have this toy for a month or whatever. Like, and then, or some, you have to lecture them and just sit there and be like, listen to me talk and ramble on and on and on. And then the kid's like, I'll never do it again, please. Yeah, it was me. Um, So it is the... So, like, you know, discipline, the best discipline, I agree with you, has to be contextualized because everyone responds to it in a different way. And not every situation needs the maximum allowable punishment. Well, my, I guess here's my problem. And, 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 I, and maybe I can propose a solution in, in, in saying the problem as well. The problem that I find is that most churches in practice, because I, I agree with you that ideology is pretty yeah. solid. Theology is pretty solid on it. but. But in in practice, what I find is that churches use discipline as a method of removing the sin or sinner, but without actually restoring people or healing, uh, bringing healing to the community and that person involved. Right? Like, um, we t- we take things like Paul, where he says, "Remove the sexual uh, immoral from you, and don't you know, don't associate with them, don't even talk with them." And we're like, "Well, all right, fine, we won't talk to them." Like, we take everything super literal without realizing any context. 
And what ends up happening is like you end up with broken families because like, here's the thing. If someone decides to do something against their family, husband or wife, right? Or a kid, whatever. And we only focus on that one person that, that messed up. The problem is that their sin has now impacted everyone, especially if that family is some, is, is important to the church they're in. So it's not just a matter of removing the sinner and pretending they don't exist because now you've still got their family here, right? You've still yeah. got their, you've still got their yeah. friends here who know them. And so there's a way to handle discipline in which, and, and, and okay, so this is my, this is where I think I am. I think we've gotten lazy with the church manual and because the church manual talks about certain things, our churches have assumed that we don't need to create anything um, around these. I think that every church, and I, this is new, right? This is the first time I'm even thinking about this and I'm, and, and I'm being more and more convinced as I talk about it. Spitballing! So, um, I think every church should have a theology of discipline, some sort of like in business session, the church has created and, and, yeah. and, and dove into the idea of discipline, why we do it, why this church does it. What is the approach that this church will take and why will we, what, what key parts of the church manual are we going to use here? And what is there room for interpretation on that we can apply to our situation? Um, what, what's the chain? What's the chain of reporting things? What, why is the chain that way? Who approaches who? Like we don't sit and create this sort of structure and plan for this. So we build an organization based off of things that are not ours. Like we don't, we don't actually take ownership over the manual. Most, a lot of church members probably don't even know the manual exists. They probably assume there's some manual, but it's this like exists in the cloud. They they think it's, it's for the pastor. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's for the pastor, and it's like, no, there's a there's a yeah. pastor's guide. There's a there's a there's a book that is for us, um, but no, like it's for everyone. This is for everyone. And yeah. so I do think, and I and I think this is easier to do with a church plant than it is an actual church, right? Like if you're doing it with a yeah, church, yeah, it's, it's hard. But I mean, if you're in the process of rebuilding anyway and certain things, then that's one of the things you can do, and it's a hard journey. <clears throat> but when you're and, talking about and, potentially. And, healing people and bringing restoration and saving people like then I, I I think that that work is worth it to be honest and and it should happen just because you're already in an established church doesn't mean you shouldn't try um, it's one of those things that that you can always improve there is no golden era um, the best is always yet to come the best is always yet to come I mean for some churches there was a golden time where they were you know firing all cylinders and people move away. But I believe that every church, all you know, I I really tr- truly do believe that every church can get better, and so every congregation can get better, um, you know. And so I think you, sh- you know, if you don't, yeah, you absolutely should have a theology, not just a policy of discipline, which should go into the theology, um, because policy is there to protect you. I always say, you know, uh, one of the things when we were talking about. Um, in, in undergrad, whenever, you know, someone would ask a question of like, what if this, what if that, you know, my go-to answer was call your conference, call your conference, call your conference, call your conference. Cause they're there to protect you. Like policy is there to protect you. Yeah. Um, legally, like from litigation and stuff like that. But policy doesn't explain motivation. And so when you understand the motivation and the theology of it, now you have your why now the policy makes sense. Now it's like, Yes, we've protected ourselves from the secular litigation lit, litigious yeah. issue. But now we're going to explain why we're doing these things. Now we're going to explain the importance of it. Um because I think that's the real weakness in our system. And that's that's a flaw in our system is that a lot of times because we don't know that why, um it becomes one or the other. Um so for, for instance, one of the bad examples um, a close friend of mine growing up, um, I guess I can, I can say that, uh, got pregnant out of wedlock and, uh, was a, was a child of a church leader. And the way that church handled it, unfortunately, because there were a lot of women in that church who had kids out of wedlock they responded to it as though it was not an issue at all. Now, understand, I I don't think that you should be throwing anyone under a bus. I'm not an advocate for that. 
But their response was, this is so amazing. This is so great. Let's just celebrate it. And it's like, hold up. Um, first off, it was statutory. So, A, that's not good. And B, it was like, well, this is not something that we should be celebrating. I'm not saying make it negative and, and just like shame. But I'm saying this is something that clearly is, is something that we, we, that we don't want to, to affirm right? Like the actions was not okay. And unfortunately my church erred on the side of non-confrontation to the point of like almost not even acknowledging that this was a sin and the consequences of that. And so unfortunately because of that, it really split the church. It really did. Cause there were people that said like the Bible says this is not okay. Like we have to, like there needs to be a different way. She was going up front with the bump she was singing songs. She was doing stuff up front, visibly pregnant, out of wedlock. And again, I am all about grace. If you know me, you know I, I am all about love and grace and support and community. But I go, there needed to be something, because she knew, right? It wasn't even about her at this point. She knew what she had done. The problem was you had a lot of little girls in our church who are now seeing this, right? The problem was this was affecting more than her. And what we needed to say, and that's why I say the reality of the church is different than the ideology. Ideologically, yeah, you want to you wanna balance that line. And unfortunately, this church did not react in, in, a, in a right way, and it split a lot. There were a lot of members that ended up leaving yeah. because of that because they go, I don't want my girls to see this. This is not okay. This is not okay behavior. This is harmful behavior. Um, and so we had to do that. And it caused a lot of issues. Another, so so that one was the, the erring on the side of that. Then you had uh, another one where they straight up just booted someone out. Um, the pastor was a legalist, which is bad. I don't care where you fall on the, on the you know, uh, a conservative, traditional, non-traditional, liberal, whatever line, um, legalism is not okay. And legalism can come from liberals and conservatives. So let's just get that out of the way. So the dude was a legalist, and um, there was a former pastor. He had left the ministry because he he got very disillusioned with some stuff, and he called him in because he was technically still on the rolls and not only called him out in front of the entire church and business session, but specifically, like he made it personal, right? And and like kicked him out. And the unfortunately, that was enough for that guy. Now the church reacted negatively to the pastor. The pastor ended up having to leave after a few months after that. But the the, the damage had been done, right? This person was kicked out. Um, they were shunned. You know, and and it's like, and they had not gone to this particular congregation. They gone to another congregation, um, in it, that was a part of that district. But it was just so the way that he was treated was so horrible that basically he will never step foot in an Adventist church again. Mm. Nothing to do. Believes the Adventist message will never step foot in an Adventist church again. Both of those are wrong. Okay, but let me can I can I push back on something yes. real quick? Not that I disagree with anything you've said so far, right? I want right. to push back on this, which is earlier you shared a story about a pastor getting fired and people getting mad about that. Yeah. Um and now you're telling me two stories where the where the model or the method of discipline ended up hurting the communities they're in and causing damage. So like your your metric part of your metric for determining whether the discipline was 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 improper or or, or, mm -hmm. or you know inappropriate was the damage it caused to the community but even in the pastor's even in the pastor's sin right and in that method of discipline there was damage to the community but you justified it because you agreed with the method of discipline so i i guess i i want to clarify for me define and I guess, the okay well define the first that first part where the damage was done to the community but yeah, but you but you agreed with the method of discipline for the pastor, right? So the damage was done in the community and that the community was angry and mad and lashed out, said, why are you doing this? Why don't you have grace? Things like that. Whereas in the other two, you said damage was done to the community because there were impressions made or whatever. Um, 
impression in, in the, the final the, one where the pastor the, no, 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 back? No, with with a with a out of wedlock pregnancy oh okay right like like i guess my question is when is when is damage to the community or community reaction a indicator of of appropriate discipline or inappropriate discipline and that's and I, that's why i'm pushing back not because right. I, I agree with all of your conclusions I just want to make sure I I'm trying to be consistent here and I'm trying to understand Correct. it too. Um, Cause I have people that listen, we have people that listen to this that don't come to from the same context that we do no, for sure. Let, let me, let me define what I meant with that other one. The issue was that and go back to the, the sin, right? Sin is something that separates us from God, right? Yeah. Because of the actions of that community, it promoted the idea that you can sin and disconnect yourself from God and be okay, right? And that is never okay. And and by the way, that one incident, that is never okay in any context. So that incident aside, anytime that happens, that is not okay, right? Same with someone who is toxic, Right. If if yep. the other community, like, and I've had other ex, ex, examples that I have not had been close to, but I've heard about other examples where a pastor or someone in leadership has been toxic to someone, and the community has been like, "Yeah, he acted correctly because this person was bad." Right. That's just as bad as this instance. So that's that's the, the point that I'm making. There is whether or not the, the the a part of the community. By the way, because that wasn't a large part of the church. Um. That was simply a, there was church leadership and um, a portion of the community that did not react in the correct way. But the problem was that the, that community, that church was not together as a whole mm. for, that, for the out-of-wedlock situation. Um, and they needed to all get on the same page. And the problem was that these people would really refuse to see it as an issue. They refuse well, and to I think, see it as an issue. So, so to me, I I think where this kind of lands as far as that that what I just asked you is concerned, then and right. what you're saying to me kind of sounds like it, it really depends on what message the discipliner is sending, right? So Correct. we're asking ourselves, what message am I sending to my members, and what message am I sending to the person yeah. who I'm disciplining? Exactly. Um, because community, like to me, community backlash um, or community reaction, while in some extreme cases. I think does can determine what happens with discipline, right? Like there are times where I, as a pastor, would want to discipline a member for something, but if the church votes against me on disciplining them, then there's nothing I can do, um, yeah. because the church has outvoted me, right? So at some point, um, like at some point, you're just kind of stuck, and I understand that. And sometimes there's backlash to the point where you say, okay, well, this like James Gunn getting fired from Guardians of the Galaxy for his old tweets, um. There's community backlash, and Disney has doubled down instead on on their decision. Oh, really? Um, but Did in they? some cases, I heard Marvel was trying to. That's well, not the I, point yeah, of this talk. I, yeah, I, sorry, I'm not. Sorry. It's still it's still ongoing, right? The, it's still the an nerd ongoing. Nerd in me thing. kicked in there. Yeah, no, I know it's still ongoing. But like there yeah. are there are other cases in that kind of thing where oh, for sure where people have said, "Hey, we're sorry, we overreacted. We're going to rehire X person for this job, or yeah. you yeah. know, go back on. Or we're going to renege what we said." And so there's. Um, there's moments where community backlash, I think, does drive our, our method of discipline. But in general, um, in general, I think we need to say, like, what message are we sending? Because in many cases, and th- this is the problem, too, it's, it comes back to Christian celebrity culture as well, yeah. um, especially Adventist celebrity culture. If the person that you're disciplining or forced to discipline is popular, then you're going to hurt, like you're not going to hurt. Their sin is what's hurting the community, but the community is going to hurt and they're going to lash out out of that pain. Um, We watched that with Bill Hybels uh, at Willow Creek. Which is, that's become a whole. Yeah, that's that's become a giant mess. Just Google that because now the pastor who took his place and the entire board of elders have resigned. Yeah. Like that's insane for the way they handled it, which props to them for finally resigning on that. Like props to them for for facing that consequence, though we shouldn't have never had to get to that point to begin with. But that's what discipline, like that's discipline too, is we are at the point that we shouldn't have had to get to, and so now we have to deal with it. Um, but I think if the team that is that is handing out discipline asks themselves, what message are we sending by doing this? And then making sure that the whole team is on the same page regarding that message. This is what this is trying to communicate, which is 
this action, this behavior, this result, none of it is okay. We do not approve of it. And that is not the standard in which we live in this community. Like yeah. that's, and, and, and so that like, I think we do need to be clear on what message we're sending. Right. Because here's the thing. And, and I'll say with, with the situation with the out of wedlock, here's what I think should have happened. Now I reacted to it. I was very young. So I reacted to it in a very immature way, but my parents, the, the, the pastor of that church was in a bad place personally and did not handle it well, which is another issue, right? Because the pastor should have come in and helped get everyone on the same page, bad leadership. There were a lot of issues at the church. Um, but the, the issue that, that really should, you know, that my parents were talking and they go, look, We, the right thing to do is not to shame her, but so that everyone understands this is not okay. There needs to be a time of censorship, right? Where she needs to, to quote unquote pay yeah. for what she's done. Right. She can't have leadership until the baby's born. Um, like just remove, you know, she was one of the Sabbath school teachers and stuff. You know what I mean? Like she was teaching Sabbath school in this and it was always like, no, we're going to send a message so everyone in this community understands this is not okay, but we are going to put her in a place where we are going to restore her back to where she was before. Because that's what grace is about. Yes. Grace does not grace does not um what's the word I'm looking for? Grace acknowledges that something has been done, right? Something something disconnect has happened, something bad has occurred. Grace, grace does not cover that over, but rather grace says, I am going to now restore you and and put you in a place where that never happened. Yeah, It did happen, but I'm going to act as though it did not. However, the consequences for that have to happen, right? But you might not necessarily be the one to pay for it, but someone has to pay. This is the thing that nobody gets. That's the issue also of, of Christian forgiveness. A lot of times people just want to gloss over and be like, oh, well, you know, I mean, how many times have we heard these pastors where it's like, well, the, he seems sorry, but it's like, no, you sexually assaulted somebody. You need to pay for that. Yeah. Right. Now, you shouldn't have to burn forever if you accept Christ over, but you did something wrong. And so to bring healing in the situation, every situation should be about healing. I, I, you know, a lot of people question whether or not the church should, oh, do, should we restore people? The only time you shouldn't restore somebody is if they are a toxic person, right? In this situation with the, with the, with the, the friend of mine who was the wedlock situation, she, she wasn't toxic. She wasn't going around to the other girls being like, yeah, all right, unprotected. Like, no, she, she was contrite. Yeah. So the right thing would be to put her over and just say, hey, we're going to support you through this. We're going to help you through this. But we need you to step away so it doesn't look like we're promoting sin. Well, right? and and I, I think we should be clear on, on what restoration is, because restoration is not restoring someone or putting someone back where they were prior to their sin. Restoring someone is restoring their relationship with Christ, is yes, putting them on the right exactly. path to stuff. Like, like with someone who's pregnant, you can never restore them to their pre-pregnant time. Um, Her dad know, they're, wanted they're, to this, try to do that, but yeah. that's not— And that's the problem. We don't like, support then, that either. So you don't, yeah, you don't discipline someone by, at, by making them sin more. But then, like with pastors or leaders in your church, they've been entrusted with something to, to whom much is given, much is expected. And— um, they've been trusted with people. They've been in, they've they've been given trust, and they've been given respect. And if they break that with sexual assault, with abuse, with um, with theft, things like that, okay, they've broken that trust. And restoring them doesn't always mean that you put them back in the pulpit. Nope. Yeah, it doesn't mean that not. you put them back in charge of churches. Um, and, and so, right, like someone who robs banks, you don't look to restore them by putting them as a bank teller necessarily. Yeah. So it's, it, it, you don't rehab a peeping Tom by sticking him in a room with models. Like, yeah, that's, it so doesn't make any sense. Um, so there's restoring does not mean restore. And, and okay. Even in salvation, right? God, when he is restoring the earth and recreating it after, after heaven, right? So that his new, if you don't know that, yeah, go read revelation. There's a new earth. Exciting. Good heaven book. And all the earth had passed away. Yeah. So it's, when God restores that earth and restores us, he's not restoring us so that he can drop us back into this life and we do it over. Yeah. He's restoring us and putting us in a completely new situation, one that is designed for our success as well. 
And I think you, you, you said it. I don't think the church should restore as much as recreate. Um, cause God recreates, um, He restores relationship. He recreates character. And that's, I think, the key. Um, discipline should always be about recreating character and restoring. Um, so that restoring relationship, right? I want us yeah. to get back to all, where we were at versus, oh, well, you could be a pastor again. It's like, no, 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 no. You can get to the point where you were, like, say I end up, you know, doing something naughty and, and getting, you know, fired. I can still be a minister. I can still minister. I don't think I should be restored to that position. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't, I don't know. You can I don't still think be I someone who, you can still be someone who does evangelism and who right. reaches people for Christ, but, but you maybe are no not longer in the that person. role. Right. Bingo. There's However, more ways to do it. I can still get back to the point where my relationship with God was when I was at my best as a pastor. Yeah, absolutely. Which, ironically, my actually being a pastor really stressed me out and hurt my relationship with God. But you know, you learn. Um, <laughs> but I can yeah. get to the point where I can restore that relationship, right? Where I'm talking to Him every day, where I'm, where I'm, you know, uh, studying my Bible to that point where I'm doing all that. That can be restored. My character must be recreated. Maybe not in that position, in that role. And that's the point of church discipline. The point of church discipline is always the point of Christianity is always to bring people closer to God. It's always to bring people closer to Jesus. My job as a pastor is to make people better Jesus followers, whether that's through training, whether that's through uh, uh, discipline, whether that's through leadership, whether that's through preaching, whatever it is, I am here to make people better Jesus followers. And in the same way, we are all here to make other people better Jesus followers. We have different roles in how we do that. And discipline is one of those roles, which is why Jesus took time, not just Paul. He didn't let anybody else. Jesus took time to talk about how to confront and how to discipline and what the purpose of that should be mm-hmm. um, because it's so important for him. And by the way, this is what's interesting. Another great model for how to discipline people is Jesus because he did that. Jesus yeah. never told the sinner they were a sinner. Right? Yeah. Jesus only told people who thought they weren't sinners that they were, right? Jesus called out the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and was like, Yeah, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites, right? You guys think you're all good, but you break God's laws. You get, right? He talked to them because they were in they were under this illusion and deluding themselves that they were fine. Jesus goes up to the woman at the well, Jesus goes up to the uh, uh Lazarus and the blind people and all this stuff. He doesn't have to tell them, Oh, you're a sinner. Right, woman caught in adultery doesn't come up to her and go, "You're a sinner." He says, "Hey, don't do this anymore. I don't condemn you. I love you. I'm here to make this better. Follow me." Right, Matthew. I mean, he he has on his staff somebody who cheated and lied and stole from people because that's what tax collectors did. And he goes, "Okay, follow me. Stop doing that, hmm. and I'm going to help you out." Peter denied Jesus three times. Sin, I mean, keep this in mind. A lot of people were like, well, that wasn't really a sin. I'm like, okay, first off, he swore to the point that people didn't think he could follow Jesus. So, ah, right, yeah. like that's and how he, had, he convinced them. And he had lied to Jesus because he, he said that lied, he lied, right? So there's a sin right there. But beyond even that, right, sin creates separation. He literally separated himself from Jesus, not only in reputation, but, you know, in, in just how he acted in character. Yeah. Peter looks, Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, you want to make up for that? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. I'm we're good. There's a reason why Jesus, the way he went about it was like, dude, we're good. But if you want to make it up to me, love these people. Yeah. Right? How? Love the community. Take care of my people. Be the person that you were meant to be. That is how discipline should be handled. And I think that's the strength that we have in our church. Is when we do it the way we're meant to do it, people become better Jesus followers. Instead of excommunicating them and and just shunning them from our community, instead of pretending that they're not stabbing themselves and hurting themselves, instead we love them, we keep them, and we and we create this cocoon of love and healing, and then we get them, and then when they're done, when they've been healed, now we send them back out. Okay, now do as you have been done. Go find people who are hurting and healing, or who are hurting and heal them. 
I agree. And I think that's a good kind of space to end on here. So, um, but thank you for diving into this with me, Tony. I appreciate it. I think this is really good. And I think this is kind of the opening of a, of a greater conversation too. I think church discipline is something that everyone should kind of dive into and understand for themselves. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening to absurdity. If you uh, want to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, any podcatching app, really I'm still working on getting us on Amazon and tune in and stuff like that. But uh, most podcatching apps have us. Um, and if you do subscribe on iTunes, please leave a, a review. It really helps us out. If you want to give financially, patreon.com slash absurdity podcast. Um, that is how you can support us. And a special thank you to the Haystack for also being our first sponsor. Um, once again, every episode from here on out is pretty much sponsored by them. So we Yay! really, really appreciate them. Um, and if you have any comments, questions, feedback for the show, you can tweet us at Ryan180Becker or Tony, yours? At Tony underscore A-N-O-B-I-L-E. Or just look up the new Dr. Jones. Awesome. So thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.